continue with our series through the sermon on the mount. We are coming towards the end of it. I think this could be the 35th or 36th sermon in this series. And we thank God for this far that he's brought us. Uh, even though the sermon will be from uh, verse 21 to 23, I will read verse 12 to 29 in your hearing. This, dear friends, brothers and sisters, is God's word. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, but because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The grass with us, the flowers fall, but the word of God abides forever. It's from that word that we seek to hear the preaching. Let's ask God for help once more. Oh, Heavenly Father. You are so merciful to us. 
given us your word, your will, in a language we can understand. There are many concepts that we don't understand, concepts in chemistry and in physics and in many other uh, subject areas that we struggle to understand. You could have chosen to communicate your word to us in a language that would be out of our reach. But Lord, you have atomized, you have broken down, you have digested your truths and presented them to us in a way that is understandable. Lord, we thank you. The matter of our eternity is an open book exam. We please pray that with this privilege, none of us will fail this exam. We please pray now that you'd be pleased to open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in your law. Oh Lord, remove every scale that blocks our eyes and unplug our ears that we may hear you clearly. We please pray that you'd use me and that I would rightly divide the word of truth. We kindly ask these things in the name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Focusing on Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, I would like to present a warning. A warning against unconscious, quotes, unconscious hypocrisy and self-deception unconscious hypocrisy and self-deception. And then, God willing, next time we will look at part two of this same sermon, possibly next week in the afternoon. A story is told about Alexander the Great. One day, Alexander held a court in Nebuchadnezzar's great palace in Babylon. He sat upon the great golden throne, and as he sat there, he was pronouncing sentences for the crimes charged to his soldiers. The sergeant at arms brought in one soldier after another, and read their crimes, no one could deliver them from Alexander's severe judgments. Finally, the sergeant at arms brought in a young Macedonian soldier and read his crime, fleeing in the face of the enemy. The cowardice of this kind, Alexander could not tolerate. But as he looked on this young soldier, Alexander's countenance changed from stern to soft. And he was smiling. And he said to the lad, Son, what is your name? The boy in fear softly said, Alexander, 
The smile quickly left the king's face. He said, what did you say? The young man snapped to attention and softly said again, Alexander, sir. The king turned to crimson. He turned red and shouted, what's your name? The boy began to stammer and said, Al, Alex, Alexander. The king burst out of his chair, grabbed him by his tunic, stared him in the face, then threw him on the ground and said to him, Soldier, change your conduct, change your name. The Sermon on the Mount today, I would like to address those who say that they have a name from God, a royal name that points to their royal lineage, that they call themselves Christians. I would like to call each one of us who describes himself as a Christian, each one of us who says, I possess this name, Christian, to examine his life and check whether his verbal profession is accompanied by a behavioral expression that they are truly Christian, that they live in a way that the Lord Jesus Christ expects all his children, all his true children to live by. The Lord in this section, final section of the Sermon on the Mount, has been giving us warnings. Warnings that need to be taken seriously by each and everyone who is concerned about salvation. In verse 13 and 14 we saw, he told us, enter, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. There the Lord was telling us, be careful. There is something called false conversion. For broad is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to damnation, and many enter by it. The Lord tells us, enter by the narrow gate, and as we saw previously, he's telling you and he's telling me, it is not enough to know about the narrow gate. It is not enough to come up to the narrow gate and step at it and say, I saw the narrow gate. It is not enough to go and look for people and point them to the narrow gate if you yourself do not enter by the narrow gate. You can study God's word and even get degrees on God's word and certify your knowledge of the scriptures in institutions that would give you degrees. But dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not enter by the narrow gate, your knowledge is empty. And so the Lord tells us, enter by the narrow gate. Then in verse 15 to 20, as we recently saw, 
He warns us about false prophets. He tells us, beware. He commands you, be on your guard concerning false prophets. Because as soon as you make a decision to enter by the narrow gate, there will be false prophets standing by the wide gate, enticing you to enter by the wide gate that leads to the broad way that leads to damnation. And the Lord tells us, beware of them. For even though they come in ships clothing underneath, they are ravenous souls. Beware, the Lord wants us. And now here in verse 21 to 23, the Lord is warning us against being false followers. He is warning us about false profession of the Christian faith. And so we are going to see three points today. The Lord states a necessity, he makes a shocking prophecy, and he shows us a sad destiny. The Lord moves from speaking specifically about false prophets and their fruit to talking about all people. And this paragraph is closely tied to what we saw in verse 19. Because in verse 19 we saw that trees that do not produce fruit will be chopped and thrown into the fire. And there we were seeing something of end-time judgment or eschatological judgment in theological terms being mentioned in the burning up of bad trees, trees that do not produce fruit. In this paragraph, the dialogue and judgment being prophesied is also at the end of the age. It's an end-time dialogue and end-time judgment being spoken of here. In this day of judgment scene being painted for us by the Lord, Jesus Christ is the judge. And for those people who say Jesus is not God, Scripture does not beg the issue. He just presents it. He tells you he is God. For on that day many will come to him and say, we prophesy in his name. And what will he do? He will judge them. He will condemn them to eternal damnation if they were false. And this is shown in other texts of Scripture that Jesus Christ is going to judge is a fact that is presented in Scripture. Or have we not seen in Matthew 25, verse 11 and 12, and later on in that chapter, in verse 31 to 46, that he presents himself as judge when he says, you did not visit me when I was sick. You did not visit me in prison. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And he condemns such who had not believed in him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord is teaching us about the last day to help us in our present 
day. Dear friends, one of the characteristics of true Christians who are well taught is that they think from the future into the present and then back into the future. True Christians think from the future into the present and then back into the future. The true Christian thinks about their present actions in terms of where it is going to lead them on the last day. Whenever Satan tempts you, he never causes you to think about a hundred years from now. He entices you with things about the now. He gives you a screensaver that makes you only see the desktop in terms of the now. And he would put a beautiful screensaver. And he would tell you, gratify your flesh. He would tell you, pursue the pride of life. He would tell you, think about now. And what that is tantamount to is he ends up telling you, drink a drop of pleasure in return for an ocean of wrath. And there is no wisdom in that. When you talk with non-Christians, particularly those who are, of the, who are old in age, they have very little in their conversation that talks about the future. They have no future to look forward to. Their conversations will mostly, if not only, be filled with what is in their past. Ten years ago, five years ago, that would be their conversation because there is really nothing that they are looking forward to with regards to the future. The old believer, the aging believer, the old Christian, on the other hand, has, who has lived much of his life or her life looking forward to the future, talks a lot about it as they grow old. They keep saying, as my grandmother would tell me, my canoe is about to dock. I'm approaching the shore. I'm approaching the shore. Cling to Christ, she would say. Christians see the visible in light of the invisible. We see the temporary in light of the permanent. This is Christian thinking. This is the Christian mindset. And it is opposite what non-believers would do. These words of Jesus reach forward. They open the curtain and enable us to see the final day when each of us, when each of our lives will be judged by the God. On that day when God will pronounce, officially pronounce our permanent destinies and fix them eternally based on what we did in our life, particularly what we did in our life with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be familiar with these words of Matthew 7, 21 to 23. We need to be as familiar with them as we are with John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. We need to be as familiar with the words of Matthew 7 here as we are with the words of Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because the same spirit who uttered Romans 10, 13, who uttered John 3, 16, is the same one who is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Today we are going to spend much of our time exposing this. And then next time, God willing, we will look at the application, the implications and the applications of this, particularly by focusing on why does this end up happening to the many described here. Let's therefore consider our first point, a stated necessity. A stated necessity. And here we will see a warning against a profession that is without an expression of faith. Not everyone who says, and that says is a present active past participle. They didn't just say in the past, but they continue to say. Not everyone who continues to say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we need to realize the kingdom of heaven presents itself in two ways. The kingdom of God's grace and the kingdom of heaven in the final consummation of things. The kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory generally will be described as the kingdom of heaven. But what we are dealing with here is not just the kingdom of grace, it is the kingdom of glory. What is described as heaven forever and ever in the presence of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the but here, but the one, the but here is, is, is presenting contrast, emphatically presenting contrast. It is an emphatic conjunction of contrast. But the one who does, again we are seeing a present active participle. Not the one who did the will of my father, but who does in a present continuous way the will of my father. Dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, a person can successfully profess the Lordship of Christ without having a true expression of that profession 
by how they live. This is a person who says, who says, who acknowledges with his words, who calls Christ with his words, who says to Christ that he is their Lord. And Lord here, Kurios, is used as the title for God and for Christ. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the holy name of God, Yahweh, is translated Lord. So if you go and take the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, wherever the word Yahweh is written, it will be Lord in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. And there is a double vocative there, Lord, Lord. And we need to ask ourselves, what's the significance of this double vocative? The repetition is a way of emphasis. At a time when you did not have the, the ability to bold or underline or highlight, this is how you'd emphasize by repetition at times. And scripture is bound with such repetitions. We, we, we read about them, 1 Samuel 3.10, Samuel, Samuel, Genesis 2.11, Abraham, Abraham, Exodus 3.4, Moses, Moses, and, and many other places, Martha, Martha, in, uh, in Luke 10, 41, in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Soul, soul, why do you persecute me? It expresses earnestness. It expresses fervency in this context. It expresses some urgency. Doubling the title there draws attention to the importance of the title. To use the term Lord seemingly would require that the person who utters these words belongs to the church, is in the church. But we will look at that a little bit more keenly because somebody who has never heard about the Christian faith does not know about Jesus. Somebody who is saying this is in this space, is where we are gathered today. It is possible, dear friends, to profess Christ as God and use a term about him that correctly refers to him as master, as king, as God, and yet not be a Christian. This shibboleth. Lord, Lord, does not in itself save somebody, for it can turn into a place where we hide ourselves and pretend to be Christians, but we are not. And the Lord Jesus Christ asks the question in Luke chapter 6, 
and verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So I'm not in saying these things, asking you to stop expressing the theological truth that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. The Bible is very clear that you need the theological truth to be saved, Romans 10, 13. But having said that, the Bible here clearly does show us that possession of this theological truth is not enough. Being zealous about theological truth is not enough. Assenting, even stressing theological truth is not enough. The Lord Jesus Christ explicitly states that only those who do the will of the Father in addition to professing that he is Lord would enter the kingdom of God. Three warnings. First warning is to those who are recipients of special revelation. God reveals himself through nature. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Psalm 19, you look at the skies, you will know there is a creator. But then we know there is something called special revelation, the scriptures. This is a serious and a stern warning to the recipients of special revelation. Nobody can say, Lord, Lord, unless they have been exposed to the truths of the Bible. Therefore, we can say there is only one class of people who can be guilty of the sin of false profession here. Only those who have heard about the Lord Jesus. Only those who have been recipients of special revelation can be guilty of this sin. And all of us here are in that category of those who have been recipients of special revelation. This passage could not be preached to somebody who has never heard about the Bible. It is those of us who go about saying, Buana sifiwe. It is this category of people that this verse would speak to. Those of us who, when we pray, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is to us that this warning is uttered, a warning to those who are recipients of special revelation. Again, secondly, a warning to those who see the reasonableness of the truths in the Bible and agree to it. These are not atheists. These are not liberals. These are people who have looked at the reasonableness of the truths found in the scripture and they've decided, I will be here and not in the mosque. I will be here and not in the Hindu temple. Those who see the reasonableness of special revelation and agree to it 
are particularly warned here. Maybe you're here and you agree to, yes, I, I embrace the incarnation, the virgin birth. I embrace the crucifixion. I embrace the resurrection and the empty tomb. It is reasonable. It makes sense. The historical facts are verifiable. This is a warning to those who confess this truth with their lips. And particularly in a country that is said to be 80% Christian, this needs to really come home to all of us. This text requires us to do the will of the Father as a stated necessity for entering the kingdom of God's glory. And this in addition to confessing the Lordship of Christ. So the only people, the only people, and there is no other to be added to such a group who will be in heaven are those who have become willing bond slaves of God. Those who have become slaves of God and those alone will be in heaven. Such people have an attitude that is committed to do the will of the Father. They want to know the will of the Father and they are committed in their hearts to do the will of the Father. They will not perfectly obey the will of the Father, but they have a commitment at heart that is founded on the desire to do the will of the Father that embraces all the will of God. Such people do not cherry-pick commandments of God they do not pick and choose which commandments they will obey and which ones they will not obey. They do not say, me, I'll just keep the first table of the law. But these others that deal with brothers and sisters, that's how I want to do. They don't say, I'll only keep the commandments that the laws of this nation have also legislated something on. But then I'll neglect the others that if I was taken to court, I would not be thrown in jail. For. And so they will not steal, they will not murder, but they think it's okay to covet. They think it's okay to break the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath law, to keep it holy six days you shall work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Because the laws of this land have no legislation to throw you in committee maximum prison for breaking the fourth commandment, such who say, Lord, Lord, vainly will break that commandment. Surely, those who obey the will of God are not just committed to do it. They know the will of God and they search it out. Reading the Bible, dear brothers and sisters, is not an optional extra. It's not an optional extra for some few people who want to be on the top of the totem pole with regards to being considered spiritual. It's not for the cream de la cream in the church. It's for everyone who wants to go to heaven. 
Because how do you know the will of God if you neglect the scriptures? This is not something we do as a last resort. We do it as a matter of life and death. We are his bond slaves and we want to know his will. And whenever his will is being revealed, we are there. And a lot. And we position ourselves to be able to listen to his will being stated. We don't watch movies on Saturday until 1 a.m. And then come and drool in church. And snooze out in church. Because for us we know we want to know the will of God. We, we cannot afford ignorance concerning the will of God. We diligently seek to know it. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Scriptures speak about it. Acts 17.30 The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands us, 17.30, to repent. First John 3.23 And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Pastor Dominic has recently preached through that. So we do see that part and parcel of keeping the will of God is turning to him for grace that he alone can give us for salvation. Obedience and embracing the grace of God are not mutually exclusive. The first expression of doing the will of God is that we rely on Jesus. We depend on Jesus. We repent of our sins and rely only on his work on the cross for our salvation. But while we embrace such a salvation, free, and graciously given to us, we know that this salvation that is by grace through faith is also a salvation that Ephesians 2.10 tells us produces works, good works. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he beforehand prepared for you to do. Therefore, we can authoritatively say, where scripture says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, or Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Christ became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The Lord says very clearly, and Pastor Murungi sometimes back preached again through this, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be past, let him be anathema. And how do we love the Lord? John 14 would tell us, John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and 
keeps them, he it is who loves me. And stated in, in another way, verse 24 of the same, John 14, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It is not enough. It is not enough that you are exposed to God's truth or that you are sent to it if your heart is not committed to the will of God. Unless your heart is committed to the will, to do, to know and to do the will of God, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Doing the will of the Father is the acid test, the legit sign of a true profession of Christianity. We are not calling you to salvation by works. But we know that the salvation that is by grace alone produces works. True Christianity must be tested not just by what comes from our lips, but what comes also through our actions. An action of obedience from the heart. And this is found everywhere, dear friends, in the Bible. Whether we would be talking about 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, obedience is better than sacrifice. Or as we have seen in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Dear friends, verbal homage is not enough. We just worship God with our lips is not enough. We must worship him. By carrying out his commands, the commands of the Father. That is the way to pay true homage to the Son of God. We have an obligation which we must owe to call him Lord, Lord. But if we never practically carry out those obligations, there is no value, there is no profit in making those admissions. We can admit this until the cows come back, that it's not going to help us. Our king receives none into his kingdom whose religion is empty words and empty ceremonies, but only those whose lives display obedience. Those are the true disciples. These are people who insinuate themselves to be servants of God, but they have no healing, deep feeling for holiness. These are hypocrites, and they are being addressed. Whatever their rank, whatever their station, it doesn't matter. The focus here is what is their conduct? What is their fruit? Dear friends, we have no obedience, then we have no salvation. It's just that simple. Obedience of the commands of God, starting with repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord of the church has called you to be a member of a local assembly where it is expressed and to avail yourself to be served by the gifts of others and to use your gifts to serve others. Are you calling him Lord, Lord, while refusing to do that? He has called you, dear husband, to live with your wife in understanding. And we may look at you and on the outside on Sunday, you are the Christian that we should aim to. But God sees and he knows you are refusing to obey him where he has called you to live with your wife in understanding. Dear sister, the scriptures are clear. You should honor, you should respect your husband. And children, scripture is clear. Honor your father, mother, obey them. You could say you're a Christian. You could have all the passwords in your language. As you speak, we would be convinced. But our God knows whether you are truly obeying him or not. Profession of lordship of Christ without expressing it is empty. A shocking prophecy is then made in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Dear friends, it is possible. It is possible to exercise unusual, in fact, superior spiritual gifts without actually possessing a saving relationship with Christ. These are those who 1 Corinthians 13 would describe as speaking with the tongues of men and angels, yet they do not have love. Of having faith that is mountain moving, yet they do not have love. And the phrase here, on that day, is a common expression of the day of judgment. On that day, a day that draws closer with each heartbeat, you have an appointment. An appointment that you must keep. And you will be judged by God. Each contraction and relaxation of your heart muscles right now is saying a bit closer, a bit closer, a bit closer. And dear friends, we cannot afford to play around with the words of this. Every one of us will give an account to God for his life. That day you will have to speak to him. What will you say to him? Makes a shocking prophecy. Shocking because a large number is on the broad way that leads to destruction. Many are involved. Of the many who walk down the broad way of destruction, Verse 13, there are many who have received divine re revelation, who have agreed to divine revelation, who have professed it with their own lips, 
who have even occupied positions of spiritual leadership. We have a tendency to unwisely think that whereas there is hell and there will be people there, I'm not going to be one of them. And I'm going to address that, God willing, in the next summer. Not one of them. I can't be one of them. I'm educated. I understand what is being said. In fact, I say it back. The many described here are not heathens. They are not liberals who have refused to speak in the name of the Lord. These are people who speak in the name of the Lord. And these are not the words of Jonathan Edwards. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not the words of a human being interpreting scripture. This is Christ himself telling you this is the scenario. These people are orthodox in their creed. Lord, Lord, Lordship of Christ is a thing that is clear to them. They are even sound in their preaching. They prophesied in the name of the Lord. And prophecy is a very stretch, stretchy term. Prophecy can be what we did a few minutes ago as we sang. We were prophesied as we sang. And it can go to the other extreme of foretelling or predicting the future. So we have been prophesied this morning as we sang. These are people who are sounding their preaching. They're even miraculous in their works. They did many mighty works, and they did those many mighty works in the name of the Lord. What exactly is the fault that is brought here? They say, Lord, Lord, and they do not do the will of God. Their fault is not inactivity. They are very active. False prophets are rarely victims of inactivity. They perform many great things. Prophesying, casting out demons, doing mighty deeds. So what then is the problem? They did mighty deeds, but their faith was not authentic. They have even ascended to that place. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, speaking to the Corinthians, they are told to desire spiritual gifts and especially the gift of prophecy. So they possess what would not just be a peripheral gift in the church. Because there, Paul says, if you are speaking in tongues and there is no interpreter, you stop and you prioritize prophecy. They have what is a very high gift, but yet they never knew the Lord. No, the Lord never knew them. These people 
have powerfully employed the name of Christ. They cast out demons in his name. And we see them on our TVs. They zap people with a touch. People have to be held down by others as they cast demons out of them. Spiritual gifts are not necessarily the same thing as saving grace. And one can apply the very highest of gifts without possessing saving faith. And I know this might be shocking, but Deuteronomy 13 envisages it and it tells it. Pastor Dominic recently pointed us to it. But I could even tell you two words that would say, yes, this is true. Those two words are Judas, Iscariot. Surely those two words should remind us that you could operate at this level of gifting and not have saving faith. How about King Saul? Did he not prophesy? But did he have saving faith? The Lord rejected him. Friends, this warning hits us hard on our solar plexus. It hits hard. We need to not allow ourselves to be distracted from having this front and center before us today and to spend time asking the Lord to help us. When Judas was involved in the sad act, of betraying the Lord. People around him so looked, uh, looked up to him that they thought he was running a ministry errand. He was going out to purchase things to help the needy. You could be part of this church. You could be part of this fellowship. You could be part of this gathering this morning where God's word is preached powerfully. You could even visibly be involved, demonstratively be involved in ministering to people. And yet, be in a place where you have never truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to ask ourselves concerning people. Are there demonstrations of these gifts accompanied by the fruit of salvation? As we make decisions on who comes into the church, as we make decisions on whom we listen to, don't just gravitate towards gifts. Look for their fruit, and the Lord has already called us to do that as he warned us against false prophets. Examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. One of the most dangerous things you can do to yourself Looking at such a text is you say, this can't be me. To say, this can't be me, is a very dangerous thing. Our attitude must be that of the apostles. When the Lord Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, what did they say? They didn't say, that can't be me. They said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? We need to do that. We need to examine ourselves. Do not confuse your gifts with saving grace. And do not try to balance your luck or the fruit of spirit 
of the Spirit by leaning on the exercise of your gifts. Whatever gifts you have, they could be practical gifts of serving us here. You could sing and people think it's the angels singing. You could have oratory gifts. You could have other things. Be careful. Be careful. What the Lord most wants to see is a fruit of salvation. Our sad destiny finally is uttered here. He says in verse 23, that these people, and they are leaders, and if this would happen to leaders, because somebody who would do these things in verse 22 would generally be a leader in that congregation. If this would happen to leaders, people who preach and do miracles, then we need to all sit up and listen. When the Lord says he has something against you, that is not the beginning of a court case. That is judgment. When God says I have something, something against you, he's not going to take you to the Supreme Court. He is the litigant. He is the prosecutor. He is the judge and he is the law enforcement officer. And that case is not going to be thrown out on technical grounds. When he says he has something against one, that is called judgment. Let us not bask on the slopes of a, of a volcano and suntan there. Let's not be like those who are meticulous in wearing makeup and yet they are chain smokers. On the outside, they look okay. They look vogue and trendy. But their lungs are full of soot. Let's not be like that. The sentence pronounced here is very sad. He says, I never knew you. He never savingly knew them. He did not have intimate acquaintance with them because that is the privilege of those who are truly saved. And such would be forever doomed when he says, depart from me, it is a forever departing. There is nowhere you can appeal. It's a closed case and you depart into outer darkness. These were strangers to God's sanctifying gospel. They remained workers of lawlessness because they were strangers to the sanctifying gospel of Christ. Ministerial ability is no proof of salvation. It is not the acid test of salvation. And we have seen many who have preached and led people to Christ and then they've walked away from the faith. We have seen it, and to our shock. 2 Timothy 2.19 would say, God's foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Lord tells us, 
in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20, that we should rejoice in this. Not just that the spirits are subject to us, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you value your soul enough? Do you value your soul enough to seek the face of Christ? Please don't destroy your soul. Turn to him and pray, search my heart. See if there is sin there and reveal it and enable me to repent. Grant me true repentance. There is nothing to lose to, in doing that, dear saint. There's only all to gain. If you are a true Christian, such a prayer will result in a situation where you live more assured about your faith. If you're not a Christian, then God's word speaks. It does not out on you. If you resist it, however, you will lose your ability to hear it. But when God speaks right now, do not be stiff-necked. Listen to him. Repent. Please examine yourself. Examine yourself. Repent of your sins and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's kindly rise up. I will pray and then we will sing the closing hymn. Our Heavenly Father, we are put on the weighing scales of your holiness this afternoon. And Lord, we realize that if you be against us, no one would be for us. It wouldn't matter who is for us. And Lord, we know there is a willingness, a commitment on your part that all who flee to you, you'd not cast out. We please pray, help us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would not take lightly our privilege of knowing special revelation. That that knowledge would be seen in our conduct. Help us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just by what we say, but to turn to him and to pay homage to him by what we do. To call him Lord, Lord, not just by our words, but by our actions. Oh Lord, please help us. We need you and we know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, all who turn to you would find help. We pray particularly for those in our midst who have been here for so long. They've gotten to know the Christian faith fairly well. And such knowledge may have caused them to think that they are okay. After all, they are not as bad as others who right now are in pubs, who right now are abusing drugs and doing other things that would be considered evil. 
Lord, we know that that is not enough. We must know your will and obey it. Help us to obey the Lord Jesus Christ so that on that day, instead of hearing, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, we would hear those sweet words, enter the joy of the Lord. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.